Good morning again, and welcome again, everybody here and online. Uh, as you heard, this is the second Sunday, sitting funny, in the season of Epiphany. And during this season, I thought I would just do a little kind of mini-series, kind of lean back into the Old Testament again, and look at four different psalms. There isn't a huge order to which psalms, other than that I like them. And uh, if you've got hundreds to pick from, you might as well just pick four that uh, I thought were kind of happy psalms. And because um, there are some that get real into the uh, lament, lamenting or uh, Lord, could you exact vengeance upon my enemies for me? You get some of those. Uh, that's not this one today. Psalm 65 is not that one. And of course, I love the psalms. Uh, the Psalms are one of the kind of, the, I think, one of the coolest parts of the Bible because, one, they're just a collection of songs. So you have to kind of imagine when you think of Psalms of people sitting around a, a fire back in the desert and, and somebody's got their, whatever instruments they use, we're not entirely certain, probably a harp-like instrument and maybe something, maybe kind of like a lute or a flute kind of thing. Uh, we're not entirely even certain at what the tunes were. There isn't a musical notation from that time. So uh, we've had to add tunes ourselves. I don't know if you remember, if you've grown up in the traditional Lutheran liturgy, you would remember how we sang the Psalms back and forth, you know? So it would have sounded something like, let me see if we get this out here. Uh, it would have sounded something like, praises due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Right? And if you get a good organist, they'd make it really smooth. And, but everybody probably knows one that kind of would kind of thump it, like, praise is due to you, O God in Zion. And then the organ would slam, and they slam on there, thump, thump, thump. Or maybe you remember the, the monks singing it, right? You always think of the Psalms like, oh, to you shall vows be performed. Right? But that's the, uh, it's all attempts at trying to recapture a person sitting there singing. And, and part of the other thing, of course, I love about the Psalms and I love about the Bible in general is it's not, despite what some people think, a giant propaganda book for how great God is. Because it's full of people really questioning how great God is. When you can look at all the religious books out there, most of them are just, you know, the God is great from beginning to end. And here, it's full of people going, God, where have you been? God, what have you done? God, why aren't you helping me? God, where, what have you done for me lately? I mean, it goes on and on. Which, of course, is real life, right? That's real life. Bono, I don't know if you know from U2, Bono's a Christian and is uh, one parent is Catholic and one is Protestant. Um, and so, but somebody asked him like, do you listen to Christian music? And Bono said, well, I think it would be a lot better if they were more real, right? How many songs from beginning to end? It's God is great, I'm full of praise, I love you, God is great, the end. You know, it, there's not a whole lot of songs out there, you know. Lord God, bring wrath upon my enemies. I am suffering in pain. Where have you been? You know, that wouldn't sell very well on the CCLI, would it, right? There's a time, there's a time to celebrate, but I get what Bono's saying. 
Well, that's not the Psalms. If he's saying Psalms, they're very real. And uh, so a lot of the Psalms, they have a lot of doubt, a lot of questioning God's plans. They usually do end with, therefore, I will sing God's marvelous deeds. And as real people do, right? I love you, but I'm having some problems right now. So that's one of the beauties of the Psalms. I love the Psalms in that way. So today, we're going to look at 65. And again, I just picked it because I liked it. It's kind of a happy psalm. Uh, so we'll take a look at the psalm itself. How does it start out? Um, this one has a couple parts. And being a poem, you have to remember, structure matters. So at the risk of being a little bit English teacher on you today, uh, it matters how things are placed. Because sometimes the placement of things sends a message, not just the words. That's kind of how poetry works. And uh, so you get a lot more out of it when you take a deep dive into it. So here we go. We'll look at the first part. Psalm 65 is two parts. And they're kind of different, but I don't think they're arranged by accident. I think there's a purpose to it. The first one is verses 1 through 5. That's what we got up here. Well, I'll kind of pick it apart bit by bit. So here we go. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. So... It starts out right off the bat with an intro. But the beginning of the intro is we're going to give praise to God because God deserves it, because God has earned it. Not because necessarily there's something in it for me, but because God is worthy of it. Now, as you read this psalm, you got to think of there being like that one smart kid who sits in the back, you know, who's in confirmation class because his parents made him. And he's convinced he's the one that's going to debunk everything the pastor says by questioning everything. And he's going to show it's wrong as an act of rebellion against my parental authority. And so every time you say something, I'm going to say, what about? And you got to picture this, because those teenagers did not just evolve instantaneously in the 1980s. They've been around forever. So each verse will make a statement. Then you got to think of the smart aleck question. And then the next one is an attempt at answering it. So the first question is, okay, to God, you have earned the uh, vows and praises. And so there he is sitting in the back going, so what did he do to earn it? Verse 2 answers that. Oh, you who answer prayer, to you all flesh shall come. So God answers prayer. When we have something we need, we turn to God, it says. We're not just speaking into a void. We're not just speaking for our own benefit, but, and it's not just wishful thinking. We're speaking prayers to actually get answered, which is a big issue for believers then and now, right? Because it doesn't always look like God is answering prayers doesn't always feel like it. And sometimes the world seems terribly unfair. The, sometimes the greatest prayer warrior gets cancer and the worst horrible person dies at 100 wealthy and surrounded by family. And we go, God, what's this about? Well, that's what a psalm would be for. But in the Old Testament, prayer was also, you got kind of got to remember, it was a group thing. It wasn't usually as much I as an individual, it was we as in it, we together praying or lamenting. So it's often a whole nation asking for help. We are asking for help. We are in trial. And the God that we're praying to, what we're praying for, is not always just personal solutions, but big solutions. 
going to make the invading enemy go away, make the drought go away, brings prosperity and justice to all of us. There's often kind of an us. So then there's that question in the back. So how does God answer prayer? Well, verse 3. When deeds of iniquity overwhelm us, you forgive our transgressions. I had to sit on this one. Deeds of iniquity. What in the world does that mean, deeds of iniquity? Whose deeds? My own personal deeds of iniquity are overwhelming me? Is it our deeds of iniquity overwhelming us? Have we, uh, as a group, become so unjust to one another, so mean to one another, you know, that we're sort of suffering the consequences of our iniquity? Is it somebody else's deeds of iniquity that's overwhelming me? Well, it doesn't quite answer that. But either way, in all those cases, enough iniquity, it gets overwhelming. And life gets overwhelming. And the struggle with things that are unjust gets overwhelming. And so, and of course, it becomes very hard sometimes to get yourself out of whatever is going on when you get overwhelmed. It's hard to even think about how to get out when you're overwhelmed. And of course, we usually don't ask for God's help until we're overwhelmed, right? Because if I do something great by my own power, it's my, it's my success. If something goes bad, well, then it's God's fault. Why didn't God save me from it, right? Human nature's always been that way. But God does not look on people and say, you know, you weren't, you weren't praying to me when things were, when things were good, so you can, you can deal with it when it's bad. No, God forgives and answers prayer. So it keeps going, what does God do? Verse four, happy are those whom you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and your holy temple. So happiness, God brings happiness. God brings goodness. God brings spiritual growth in the place of worship. Life is not just about material stuff. We know that, although material stuff matters. And God does not leave us with a sort of spiritually empty life where he sits up there and we never have any real connection. That's not how God is. And it isn't the case that people didn't have a close personal connection with God until Jesus came. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes... The simple answer to prayer is just to have someone listen. Sometimes that's what we need as much when we pray. I might just need that to be the starting point for my healing. Verse 5 goes on. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance. And by awesome deeds, they mean awesome. They don't just mean, like, that was really cool, dude. They mean awesome. Like, like rain pouring down, like armies being turned away, like hearts and minds changing. The world is full of things of awe and wonder. For that, we should praise God. Verse 6, O God of our salvation, you are the hope of the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. So God brings hope, not just for us, for all people, which is really a big way of thinking for such a small nation that at the time lived sort of herding sheep in the hills between the Jordan and the Mediterranean, kind of wandered around and farmed. And for this people, this small people surrounded by big empires to sit and think, our God is really the God of the whole world. 
the Savior of all the nations. And it is good to remember, too, I think often we look at the Old Testament and we think the Old Testament was God for the Jews only. But that was never Old Testament thinking. It was never that exclusive. The belief was always that the God of Israel is also the God of all people. It's just all people don't want, want to necessarily listen. But God is the hope of all the nations, even the ones you don't like. Even the Hittites and the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Moabites, especially those Moabites. So to give a little summary, the Lord God is owed praise because he answers prayer, forgives, brings happiness, brings satisfaction, and delivers us from enemies. Not so bad. So there's that little punk in the back going, so why should I give Lord God praise and vows? What's he ever done for us? Well, the psalm gives an answer, right? Psalm gives an answer. You say, well, that's maybe what he does, but how do I know that? How do I know that? You gotta change the tone of voice. How do I know that? How do I know God actually does that stuff? Okay, good question. This is the second part. It's not an accident that it's squished in here. It looks like the first one's about God, what God does. The second one is just a nature poem. But the second part is the explanation for how we know that God does what he does. When they know that he do these, does these things because we can see what he does every day. God, delivers, God who delivers Israel made the earth and all its peace and harmony and beauty. You look to the awesomeness of the earth to see the evidence of the power of God. What does God do? God establishes the mountains. Lord God, you establish the mountains. You silence the seas. You make the sun move. You water the plants so things can grow. Your wagon track, you leave wagon tracks that overflow with richness. This one, I'm not quite sure I get the metaphor. What God's wagon tracks are, but I'll bet it sold really well in the 1800s. Right? The preachers could easily go, And Jedediah, God doth water thy wagon tracks. I guess, I don't know. It probably means something that's lost to history. At first, this looks, like I say, a song of praise jammed into creation, but the creation answer is the first part. So by the time you're done singing this whole psalm, by the time you've been sitting around this campfire and they've been playing away and, every, and the fire's dwindling down and you're ready, to, you're ready to transition it right into kumbaya and create in me and usher them off to bed, right there, you just take a look and you dwell in that. You just dwell in that. And you see that the creation has done those amazing things. And you notice that it's all in the present tense. It's all what God does. Now, in case you thought God had left the building or wasn't bothering, God is doing these things now. When we are overwhelmed, when you get overwhelmed by things, it gets very hard to listen to much of anything. It gets very hard to imagine the future. It gets very hard to see solutions to your problems. When you get overwhelmed, it becomes a little bit like that email list that you get when you come back from vacation. And you see so many things. And you can't possibly imagine what you're going to do. Now, I know some, many people, apparently this is a new thing, 
where they'll just hit delete all and say, if the people really needed me, they'll get back to me again. I don't know who you work for. I might, I might get an executive committee meeting if that's what I did. Pastor, I sent you that email about my dying brother. Oh, well, if, you, if it mattered, you'd call back to me. Yeah. Here's your pink slip, bucko. No, I can't do that. But what happens, right, is you sit down and you get overwhelmed. There's so many things. That's what happens when we get overwhelmed. You, you kind of shut down. I picture the psalmist as somebody who's been overwhelmed. And what do you do when you're overwhelmed? You can't see straight. So what do you got to do? Refocus. When it gets so overwhelming that you can't think that there's a way out or that there's light at the end of the tunnel and you can't picture a solution, you need to sit back and remember the good place that you were at before you are overwhelmed. Remember the good that brought you to God in the first place. Dwell on that. I'd say this sometimes for a relationship and tension. When all you ever have is tension, 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 fighting, fighting, bickering. It's just to stop sometimes for a minute and remember the good that brought you there in the first place. Remember how you got there. Remember what it was that made you think that you could take this vow that would be bigger than the problems that you're going to have. Remember when it feels like God is distant and removed, return to the holy house and dwell in the presence of God that brought you to God in the first place. It will give you a peace and a presence when you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're into journaling. That sometimes helps. Write it down. To actually see it on paper makes it not feel as overwhelming sometimes. And look at the earth made in the way God made it. So much of the pain I think that we put ourselves in is because we live so not in harmony with our world. We're not in harmony with each other or our, our, ourselves. And in a world of pollution and destruction, it can get very overwhelming. And maybe part of why we're not at peace is because we've cut ourselves off from so many things. Sometimes you just need a reminder of what it was like and of the good that's there. Sometimes you just need a reminder. And I look at Psalm 65 and that's what I see. I see a reminder. Smart Alec Punk is sitting in the background and the teacher is saying, hold on. Remember what God is, what God has done, and just sit on that for a minute, because I think even you are overwhelmed by this. But when we reconnect, we are less overwhelmed, and we can once again go back to rejoicing in the God who loves us. Amen.